All right, Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah and... Behold, something greater than Jonah is, the, is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this word that you've given us. Thank you for giving us the freedom to read your word out loud, Lord, and to come worship you freely. Lord, we also ask now that you speak through Pastor Nathan as he brings us a message this morning and teaches us your truth. Thank you, God, so much for your love and kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thanks for standing. And um, you have all heard uh, the, the phrase, the saga continues, right? Um, so the saga between the Pharisees and Jesus in this uh, continues. And if you didn't think it could get any more intense, um, in this passage it does. Um, and so last week, Jesus showed us in the text that there is one sin that he claims is unforgivable, um, and we believe him, and we talked all about that last week. We will not continue that, and then today, the saga continues, um, and uh, we, we see uh, this interaction continue. In fact, uh, he continues his interaction with, with this one group of people who we talked about last week that continually refuses to accept who the Christ is, who this Jesus is, and that's namely the Pharisees. The Pharisees are rejecting who this Christ is, and it also happens to be a text that, that I came upon when studying Jonah uh, a couple years ago. So if you remember back in 2021, I had to go back and see, like, when did we go through that? That was two years ago. In fact, we started it October 3rd, 2021. Um, and so right around two years ago, uh, this time was when I was studying Jonah. As a church, we were walking through Jonah. Um, and of course, when you study the, the Bible, uh, kind of looking at Jonah, you see that uh, the Bible says more about Jonah than just in the book of Jonah. Um, in fact, Jesus says something here today about Jonah. And so I had read this text before, um, and, and uh, I, had, I, had, I wasn't unaware of of this text, but it was, it was then in that time of study that I realized 
in really a fresh way, just a fresh way, not a new way, uh, but a fresh way, I realized the ability that we have to read our Bible as one continuous unified story. Um, There are 66 books within the library of the Bible, um, and they're not just individual books disconnected from one another. Uh, We read our Bible as a unified story um, that really tells the story of one person. Um, Now, there's many people, but all of those people really kind of point to, in one way or another, uh, the need for redemption um, and the presence of sin in our life and in our world and the need for someone to come and rescue them. Um, And then comes Christ. And so, really, to put it another way, I used this word a couple times last week, and I'll stop using it so it's not a distraction to us, but to really put, put it another way... Uh, we, we have the responsibility as faithful students of God's word to not unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. Uh, we, we don't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not useless. It is very useful. But rather for us to see um, that this book is God's story of redemption um, and his intention on redeeming mankind, namely through his son, Jesus. And, and so maybe even to put it another way even is Uh, that the whole Bible points us to Christ. Uh, We see Christ in Genesis chapter 3, as early as Genesis 3, where there is just a a statement made there from God uh, that that he will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. Um, And that's not not about anybody but Jesus. Uh, That's who Christ is. And so um, this, this is a text that we come to today in Matthew chapter 12, which affirms that for us. Uh, that the whole Bible tells a story of the coming man who would redeem mankind from their sin. And so Jesus, throughout Matthew chapter 12, all the way up to this point, is, is really, in a way, under, under assault uh, by these Pharisees. They're, they continually come after him. And his continual, definitive, consistent defense is, I am Lord. I'm Lord over the storms, I'm Lord over the sick, I'm Lord over the, I'm Lord over the seas, I'm Lord over the lame and the blind and the, and the dead, I'm Lord over all things. And so we see that both in what he says, but also in what he does. He shows us many powerful, mighty works, miracles that, sh- that affirm to us that he is Lord over all things. And so his attackers, known as the Pharisees, which we come to again today, they're experts in the law. But as one of my professors uh, recently said and is uh, pertinent here, you're only an expert if you're right. Uh, you're, you're only an expert if you're right. Um, now, you, I looked up the definition of expert, and it's just someone who has knowledge in a particular field. Um, And these days, everyone's an expert, right? Uh, Well, just remember, you're only an expert if you're right. If you're not, you got more work to do, okay? Um, And so Jesus shows us in this this time, um, let me give you the actual definition. Expert, a person who has comprehensive and authoritative knowledge of or skill in a particular area. That's what that definition is. I forgot that I had written that down. But it's safe to say here that in this text, the experts are wrong, (laughs) Would you, would you agree? The experts have been wrong, and the real expert is Jesus. The real expert is Jesus. So the Pharisees were literally experts in the law, in the Old Testament, in, in so much of what the Old Testament says. And Jesus says the real expert in this situation is, is me. You want to know who has the authority, the real authority, and the real authoritative knowledge to interpret the Old Testament? It's, it's me. And so that's what he's showing us. And so the experts have it wrong, and the real experts, Jesus. And we see in verses 38 through 39, the beginning of this interaction. Let's read that. If you don't have a Bible, again, I just really encourage you to do that because we will walk through this um, line by line. Um, So we're going to read verses 38 and 39 together. 
It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So signs, as we have seen, uh, if, if you've just been paying attention in Matthew, signs as we have seen, they're really an important and significant component of Jesus' ministry. He loves to perform signs and wonders. He loves to perform miracles. Um, now, the reasons behind the miraculous works of Jesus are plenty, okay? So we got we to recognize this, especially if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying in this text. The, the reasons behind the miracles of Jesus, there's, there's plenty of reasons. And just, just to name a few, one of them is to reveal his power. They're just like, hey, I'm, I, I have the power to do it. In fact, back in Exodus chapter 4, remember when, when uh, God is sending Moses into the presence of Pharaoh? Um, and God displays his power in Exodus chapter 4, verse 8. says, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. God often showed his power through miraculous signs and miracles. And so Jesus is showing us that he has the power to perform these things. Well, another thing is they, one of the things that we got to remember is they not only reveal his power, they reveal his concern for people. Jesus loved people. He loved interacting with people. He cared about their situation. He cared about their condition, and he loved people. What they also did is they validated his claims. Um, it's one thing to say that you're Lord. It's another thing to show that literally the storms and the seas will obey what you say, right? So they validate what he had already been saying. And then another really key important part to the miracles of Jesus is that they fulfilled prophecy, they fulfilled prophecy. Remember when John the Baptist was doubting in, in Matthew chapter 11, and Matthew sends his disciples out, or John sends his disciples out and asks Jesus, are you really the one who's coming, or should we wait for another one? What does Jesus do? He quotes Isaiah 35 that, that, that prophesies about the miracles that Jesus will perform. Jesus says, go tell John. The lame, the lame are walking, the blind see, um, and all of these things are happening. And so Jesus also performed miracles to, to show that he was the fulfiller of these prophecies. So these signs and these miracles are key to who Jesus is and what he's doing in his ministry. Jesus isn't only making claims, he's performing these, these great works. And so it seems that the Pharisees in this text, so, so lest you think that Jesus is opposed to showing signs and wonders, just know that's what Jesus has been doing. But it seems that in this text that these Pharisees are, are looking for something even more grand or more astounding. They want, they're just like, Lord, we're not, we're not pleased. The teacher is what they say. We're not, we're not pleased. We want something bigger. We want something more astounding than what we have seen already. But we can conclude from their past behavior and Jesus' response to them that, the, that there is maliciousness in their request. They're coming to Jesus with some sort of malintent. Hey, listen, we, Lord, we, we, they're looking for more ways to trap Jesus they're looking for more ways to put him in a position that they want to get him in. And what we have seen in the passage before, that a lot of this request comes from a, what seems to be a nearing, settled rejection of who Christ is. That's what Jesus talked about is the unforgivable sin, those who, who fall into the settled rejection of who Christ is. And so what's important for us to see, church family, is that Christ is eager, he is willing and he is ready to respond to the desires of the humble. He, we see that all throughout this book. We, we see that Christ is ready, willing, and, and, and able um, to, to fulfill the desires of those 
who they, 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 just want, they just want their faith confirmed. They're not looking for something to, to trap Jesus with. Jesus is very eager to respond to the, the, the questions and, and the ways of life that people are, are seeking to have their faith confirmed. But Jesus, as we see, has no time for those who demanded that these signs and miracles only bolster their unbelief and, and feed their indictments as the Pharisees are doing. That's what we can gather from what the Pharisees are doing. They're just looking for some way to just bolster their unbelief, not bolster their faith or bolster their, 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 their belief. But notice verse 40. Look what Jesus says. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So even in light of the maliciousness of this demand by the Pharisees, Jesus doesn't necessarily say no to giving them a sign, does he? No, he, he does. He actually says, okay, you want, you're evil, first of all, for, for, for asking about this the way that you're asking about it, but let me go ahead and give you one. Let me go ahead and give you something that ought to bolster your faith in who I am, yet we see because of the state of their heart, it probably just turns them away even more. And so first he takes this familiar story of the Jewish faith, Jonah. They would have known about Jonah. And he claims, Jesus claims in this time, you want a sign? The sign is that I am the ultimate fulfillment. I am the, I am the uh, substance of what that shadow was pointing towards, the way that Colossians says it. That Jonah was a real story in history. We do, yeah, you think we're crazy here. We actually believe a guy got swallowed up by a fish and he didn't die and he got spit back out on the, the, the sand or wherever that was just a few days later. We, we really believe that. And so Jesus says, however, it was a, as Colossians would say, about the law, really, but I think it applies here to this miracle, that it was a shadow of the substance that was to come, and that's Christ. And Jesus says, I am that substance. Jonah was telling a bigger story. Jonah was pointing to a greater reality. But then he says, I will give even another sign. He not only says you can look back on the sign that has been given to you in the past through Jonah, but Jesus goes on to say, I'm going to give you even another sign that will come. And Jesus, for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, alludes to his resurrection. He, he's, things are starting to hide up. And notice, notice how things starting to heighten in here. Jesus doesn't shy away from where he's headed. He brings it in. He brings it into the picture. He says, I, will, I have come to this earth to die and to raise from the dead. And he says, not only have I given you a sign in history to look back on Jonah, but I'm going to give you another sign to look forward to, and that is that I will give my life and I will raise from the dead. And so it is likely that what these Pharisees are demanding is really something cosmic. They're, they're demanding something cosmic from Jesus, even more magnificent than what they had already witnessed. And so Jesus says, that part's coming. You want something cosmic? Have you ever seen a, a dead man come to life? And they'd be like, well, yeah, just a little while back. But Jesus says, no, that's what I am coming to accomplish and what I am coming to do. And so what Jesus is saying, that part is coming. The big cosmic sign that you want is, is on its way. And it will be similar to what you saw in Jonah, but it will be greater than what you saw in Jonah. And so what are some of those things that Jonah didn't do, but Jesus does? Well, let's just look at some of these things. What Jonah didn't do and he couldn't do, Jesus will do. Jonah went into that, to, that, to the belly of that fish 
and guess what? He did not die. He got spit back up, and, and he went on to live his life, and what Jonah didn't do in that belly, Jesus did in the grave. Jesus went to the grave, and he, and he really died, and he atoned for the sins of the world. Jonah came, and he preached a message of, of wrath as briefly as possible to a people that he despised, right? He was like, get me in and get me out. Jesus, in contrast, came preaching a message of mercy for three years, not to people who he despised, but to people who despised him. Jonah would evade death in the belly, but would one day die. Jesus would become obedient to death, but on the third day, never die again, but live forever. Jonah went into the belly for his own sins. Jesus went to the grave for yours. You hear that? And, and so Jesus is saying, you want a sign. You want a sign. Remember Jonah? Remember how great of a prophet he was? Jesus, Jonah went all the way down to the, to the belly of the fish because of, his own, because of his own unfaithfulness, because of his own sin. And what Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the depths of the earth, not for my sin, but carrying yours. And Jesus is saying, that's the, that's, that's, that's the sign you're looking for, and you don't even know it. All that, Jesus says, is the sufficient sign that you're seeking. They want a sign. Jesus says, I will give you your sign that you are seeking. But for those, but for these who are seeking a sign, the sign that will be given will be bad news. Listen to this. Listen to this, because this is, this is kind of like, how do, we, how do we grapple with this? Those, these who were seeking a sign, Jesus goes on to say that the sign that will be given, the sign of the resurrection, the sign of the ministry of the life of Christ is good news for those who would come to faith in Christ. But he says, Jesus, I'm going to show you here, Jesus says on the day of judgment for those who refuse to believe, it will almost be like heaping, heaping uh, burning coals of, what am I trying to say? <laughs> like, like uh, somebody help me out here. You, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's what I'm talking about. It'll almost be like heaping burning coals on the heads of people who see the sign, who witness the ministry of Jesus, yet on judgment day stand before a holy God and think, I saw it. I knew it. I saw it right before my eyes. So let's read verses 41 through 43. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so Jesus is highlighting the fact that men were brought to repentance and faith by the message that Jonah preached. He's highlighting the fact, he's, he's telling them that on judgment day, the men from Nineveh will be there giving judgment. I don't know what that means, I don't know what that looks like, but it's what Jesus says. That on judgment day, the men of Nineveh and the queen of the south will be, will be there. And so what he's saying is, is that these men were brought to faith by the message of Jonah, but the men in this text will not repent and believe at the sign of the resurrection at the teaching of, of Christ. And so this contrast is with the Ninevites. And this is Jesus like going for the jugular. <laughs> Imagine the, the Jews being told that on judgment day, they're gonna be in worse shape than these wicked Assyrian people, these, these Ninevites. This is like the ultimate 
just, you know, pardon my simplicity, this is like the ultimate yo mama joke. You know, like yo mama, like, all right, argument's over. Now you're either getting punched in the face or I'm just gonna have to walk away. And so Jesus is pulling out all the stops by telling these people that on the day of judgment, you will be in worse shape than the Ninevites and the queen of Sheba or the queen of the south. By the way, so far, Jesus has, has likened or really worsened the Pharisees' fate to Tyre, to Sidon, to Sodom, and here it worsens it to Nineveh and the queen of the south, which, by the way, was a Gentile woman that you can read about in 1 Kings chapter 10. Man, just imagine how angry these men might have been. Jesus says that on judgment day, Nineveh and the queen will take part in the scathing judgment of the unbelief of the Pharisees. The queen of, so the queen of the south, 1 Kings chapter 10, it's a really interesting story. The queen of Sheba, maybe, maybe what, your, what your version says. But the queen of the south heard about Solomon. She traveled a, a long way, um, long distances to see and to hear from Solomon. And, show, and, and, and she did this seeking to discredit and disprove him. She thought, like, surely this guy ain't all that he's cracked up to be. I'm going to go sit at his feet. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. And surely by the time I get done with him, uh, he'll, 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 he'll have his tail tucked and he'll run away. But she came to him and he shared his wisdom. She, uh, he shared his wisdom and she responded positively to it. And Jesus says something even greater than Solomon is here. Those who came to discredit and disprove Solomon walked away convinced and something greater than Solomon. Jesus won't merely teach wisdom. He will make you wise through faith in him is what Jesus is saying. I will make you wise through faith in me. I will not only give you wisdom for the day. Some of us treat Jesus that way, right? Uh, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but a lot of you have like the Jesus calling book, right? And you wake up in the morning and you read that. Hey, that's wonderful. Please like you know, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not endorsing any kind of particular book, but you got your book or you got your devotional, maybe sometimes even your, your own Bible, and it's just kind of your, your fortune cookie for the day, right? It's just, and then you move on, and then, and then we spend about 10 hours on TikTok or, or 10 hours uh, with the, in the newspaper or with the news, right? And, and yet what Jesus is saying here is something greater than Solomon's here. I'm not just going to teach you wisdom. I'm going to make you wise. I can make you wise through faith in me. And so as if standing before a holy God weren't enough, these men would be judged by those who they had the most contempt for because they refused to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Man, one day they're going to stand before God and these will come out. The men of Nineveh and the queen respond to the message in a way that prevented their ruin, yet the Pharisees respond in a way, as Matthew Henry say, says, that will surely hasten and worsen their ruin. The, the Pharisees are up for what, what seems like, again, we're not God, so we can't understand all of these things. But what Jesus seems to be communicating is that there will be degrees, there will be some kind of degree of, of terror on judgment day for different people. And, and it seems like what he is saying is that those for whom judgment will be the worst is those who heard the gospel, those who saw the Son of God in this context, those who saw Christ, and, and Christ told them what he tells them, and yet they stand before God one day after rejecting him, and there is a level of judgment that is so severe to them that they can hardly bear it. And that's a, that's a provoking picture. 
So Christ, what he says, is the fuller message. So what may have been lacking in the, in the message of Jonah or in the wisdom of Solomon that God used regardless to turn people to him is not lacking in Christ's message and in Christ's resurrection. Jesus is saying the resurrection will be a sufficient enough sign for you to believe and to trust in all that, all that you need to believe and trust in. So Jesus then goes on uh, to give in verse 43 through 45. We're going to read those passages together. Um, he goes on to what is believed to be a parable. It's like a parable of unbelief for the Pharisees. Because uh, if you read it, it, it seems at first somewhat out of place. Like, what's he talking about here? Okay, we, we saw him cast out a demon back in uh, the earlier part of chapter 12. Um, is he coming back to that? What is, what is he doing? But most immediately, it seems like what Jesus is doing is giving a parable for the, for the kind of danger that these Pharisees are in for their unbelief. Look what, look what he says. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person... It passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. So Jesus isn't necessarily talking about like a specific person. He says... He gives, this, he gives this example, and then he says, he applies it to this evil generation who he's already referred to as the Pharisees. So the Pharisees somehow relate to this talk about this demon being cast out of a person and coming back into a person. And so this is very likely, um, maybe, maybe not, parabolic language. There's this is a parable that Jesus has given. We see in Matthew 13, Jesus is about to jump into the parables, um, and so Jesus kind of gives us a snapshot of this, this parabolic language. And so Jesus here successfully, just notice what has happened. Jesus here successfully has compared these people not only to Sodom, Nineveh, a Gentile queen, but also a demon-possessed man. And so Jesus is pulling out all the stops. He's saying, you are more wicked than Sodom. You are more wicked than Nineveh. You are more wicked than all these people. And by the way, the best thing that I can liken you to is a demon-possessed man. And so my, how the tables turn. Or if you're an office fan, how the turntables, right? My, how the tables have turned. After them starting this dialogue, remember, this whole dialogue, this whole interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees started um, mainly, kind of this section, back in, back in verse uh, 24, when, when the Pharisees say, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Well, the tables have turned now because at first, the Pharisees are the ones saying that Jesus is the one who worked by the power of Satan, but Jesus now says, no, you're the ones who are controlled by Satan. You want to know who's controlled by Satan. You want to know who's, whose position is worse. It's yours. Because you're like the demon-possessed man. And, and the way, the example that he gives is when a demon comes out of a man and he goes around seeking it and he comes back, he comes back even more strong. I think he's likening that to their unbelief. He's likening that to the fact that they have seen Christ, they are continuing to reject him, and the position of that person who is rejecting Christ after seeing Christ clearly is worse off than they would have never seen him in the first place. And so, again, evidently, there will be something peculiarly painful. Just listen to this, church. As, it, as first of all, we, we, we consider 
God's grace in our own lives and we thank him for his mercy and his grace and his salvation of us. But may this also fuel our efforts to share the gospel with those who don't know Christ. May it fuel those, uh, our interactions with people who may know just enough of the truth of the gospel to make judgment day even more unbearable to them. And so what Jesus seems to be saying is that there will be something peculiarly painful on the day of judgment for those who have heard and have tasted the resurrection yet refused it. Jesus states that those who have heard and refused to believe are worse off now than they would have been if they had never heard it. (laughs) Similar to what is true of this twice-possessed man. Church family, what I I often tell my, my Muslim neighbors and what I consistently tell you as a church from this pulpit is that one day we will stand before God. And so you may not believe that right now. Let me just make this very clear. There will be no doubt in your mind that moment that you step into eternity, that you are standing before a holy God. And there will be judgment on that day. We don't shy away from that. We don't apologize for that. There will be judgment on that day. If you're a child of God, the judgment and the wrath that you deserve has been placed upon Christ. Praise God. Has been placed upon Jesus. We sang that this morning. Slain by death, the God of love. The judgment and the wrath that we deserve will be placed on Christ. But those who refuse to believe this message that you hear, you will answer for the, justi- for the judgment and the sin that you have committed. And you will not stand in that day. You will not stand in that day. So Jesus is highlighting that same reality here and saying that I, I think what he's saying is that that day is going to be particularly unbearable. And this is, this is universally applicable. So there's certain things that Jesus is saying to the, the Pharisees. We, we gotta realize there's context here. But I think that it is universally true for all time that that day will be particularly unbearable for those who knew the truth and did not believe for those who knew the truth of Christ and the resurrection and did not believe. It's almost like there will be a hell before hell on judgment day, is what Jesus is saying. I don't know if that theology is any good, but it seems like that there's gonna be a moment where we stand before God before we enter into eternity. And what Jesus almost feels like he's saying here is there's gonna be a hell before the hell. And, And the first hell is that you're standing before a holy God and you are remembering, I heard the message of the gospel over and over and over and over again, and I just refuse to believe it. I just refuse to surrender myself to that truth. Matthew Henry calls uh, verses 46 through 50. <laughs> kind of heavy now, right? Now we, now we go to the end of the chapter. And, and, and Matthew Henry calls it, uh, I think, necessarily a digression in the Gospel of Matthew, a little bit of, a, of an interruption. Can you sense that in these verses? You got a little bit of what feels like, all right, now we got an interruption, we've got a digression and maybe, who knows, maybe that's the gospel writer just being like, all right, what I just said is really heavy. Um, I'm going I'm to make sure that, that, that the Spirit's like, I'm going to make sure that we just got this in here because it is true, it is inspired, but it's a little bit of a, let's see what Jesus has to say next, verses 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside speaking, uh, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. 
For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Matthew simply highlights here in this little section those who had responded rightly to Christ. He just, he just says, okay, we've kind of given you this continual portrait of unbelief in the life of the Pharisees. Now let me give you this portrait of those who have responded in the right way to who Christ is. And he does it in just a really simple and beautiful way that gives familial and relational language. Mark, Mark tells us, the Gospel of Mark tells us in chapter 3, um, that Jesus' family was seeking to intervene, in, uh, to intervene because they thought Jesus was out of his mind. They said they just came to, they came to get him because they thought he was out of his mind. We don't have that here in Matthew, but Jesus takes this opportunity to give really one of the clearest statement of what fellowship with God is. He just gives like a super comfortable, like a, like a warm blanket, uh, kind of after this heavy stuff that Jesus talked about. Jesus just gives this, one of the clearest statements of what fellowship with him is, and, and he says this, it's brotherhood with Christ. It's sonship with the Father. It's that we are part of a family through faith in who Jesus is. He says, you want to know who my, who my family is? It's those who do the will of my Father. Those who, or another way we could state it, is who believe in who Christ is and who follow Jesus in obedience with their lives as, as growing people of God. And so just to close this, to close this, I think where we need to close is a little bit of application with kind of the, the main part of this text that we, we dealt with this morning. So it's, it's not uncommon today, you've probably heard someone, you may have even said it in your own life, it, it's not uncommon today uh, to find people and even ourselves in the place of asking God for some kind of sign right? Lord, if you would just fill in the blank, then I would fill in the blank, right? We, we're, we're all signs people. We, we, love, we love signs. Some of you like the horror movie signs, and some of you don't like that. Maybe that's not the signs I'm talking about. I'm talking about we need like a sign from God. We need, like, we need to feel something inside. We need to see something in the, in the sky. We need, we need all that kind of stuff. And so here, here's the deal. This, I don't think this is always the fruit of settled rejection and wicked intent, if, if you've been in that place, I'm not here to, to condemn you or to make you like think twice um, about something. Rather, I just want to comfort you with a greater reality. Um, I want to give you a better way. Can I, can I, is that okay? Can I give you a better way um, to, to hear from God than waiting for the wicked witch of the West to ride her broom in the sky? Can I, can I give you that? Okay, well, I'm, I want to give you that. The scriptures are not quiet in addressing this. Uh, the scriptures are not silent in addressing this. And by giving consistent response to this request, and what, how does it do it? By pointing to the sufficiency of the scriptures. By pointing to its own sufficiency. If, if, I don't just say this glibly. Like, if, if you want to hear from God, open your Bible. Begin there. Now, do I believe that God uses a variety of means and ways to encourage and to speak to us I would say yes, namely his people, like, like the, the body and, and the way that we, we interact with one another, the way that we encourage one another, the way that we remind people of truth in hard seasons. Um, and so that's one way in which God will, will confirm things for us. But the, but the scriptures continually speak to their ability and their sufficiency to speak to that thing that you are longing for or looking for in regards to a sign. Um, and so let me give you a couple of examples. 
And, and I'm, I'm actually reiterating a point that we made last week. The first of those examples is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Remember, Peter is there, and he's saying, listen, we were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. <laughs> like, we saw him, we walked with him our, our whole life, and what Peter essentially says, but you have the word of God more fully, more, more full. And so Peter is taking his experience, which, by the way, if you, if you don't know this, we live in a culture um, where experience is, is elevated to the highest value, right? Now, your experience is not unimportant. Amen? Your experience in your life is not insignificant. It's not unimportant. Uh, but there's this thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Really big word, right? Um, I'm not trying to sound too smart. It's just, that's just what it's called. There's a thing called the Wesleyan quadrilateral that just kind of talks about through history, the way that church has, has elevated and, and uh, ranked truth is by first and foremost saying the scriptures are our ultimate authority. The scriptures are what is ultimately and sufficiently true. And then they say there are other ways in which we can see things confirmed throughout history that actually just attest to the truth of the scriptures. The, the second one of those is just church history. And so if any of you follow one of those TikTok people and they're saying something new, like you got some like 33-year-old girl sit, chilling in an apartment in New York, and she's like, let me just tell you about this new thing that I discovered theologically. Shut her down. Uh, because first of all, weighed against scriptures. Second of all, weighed against church history. If she's the first church mother who's saying something, uh, don't listen to her. Um, and, then we, and then we see that reason is a, is a really good thing that the Lord has given us. And then we see experience is a, is a good thing that God can give us. But what we've done is we've flipped those over. Experience is kind of first and foremost. Well, my experience, my truth, all of those things. And so what Peter's doing here is he's setting, he's kind of just setting the groundwork for us to say, listen, we had the most epic spiritual experience that you, could, that you could ever imagine seeing the transfiguration of Jesus. And what Peter is saying, he's saying, but if you've got the word of God, if you've got the scriptures, you are at no disadvantage. You have a more fully sure word in this. And then we see, let's just look at another example. We see this in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. Remember what happens there? Remember there's this great chasm fixed between these people, Luke 16? We're not going to read all of this, but again, my, my point in bringing all of this up is the fact that the scriptures tell us that they are sufficient for us to know who God is and who he calls us to be. And so in uh, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, um, just, let's just read the, the very last two verses. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He's saying, if someone will just send them a sign, they're going to repent. And then what did he say to him? If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they don't believe what the word says, you're not going to believe it if a sign shows up. And so for those who might be waiting on a sign from, from, the, from the sky or a sign in the dirt or a sign on the wall, if you don't believe this, you, that sign that you're seeking will not sustain you either because you'll only want another one. You'll only need another sign. And what these two examples in the scriptures are doing is they are highlighting the prevalence of our desire for some sort of experience or miracle, yet the scriptures are renewing our minds that the scriptures are sufficient for you to know all that you need to know for right standing with God. And that's a, a very glorious truth. 
I, I promise none of the social media that you've taken in this week with the viral videos have told you that. The word tells us that, though. And so here's, here's kind of just the, the truth in all of this. That even, even more than these people were better positioned than... Jesus seems to be saying, you guys are in a much better position than the people of Sodom and the people of Nineveh because I'm here. That's what Jesus seems to be saying. But Jesus, the, the, the kind of the application for this is that even more than these people were, were better positioned than Sodom and Jonah and the Ninevites and the queen to experience the blessings of God as they were witnesses to their resurrection, what, what the word tells us is that we as believers in this day are better positioned than even them because we live and exist after the resurrection of Jesus. And what tells us of the resurrection? This does. And so those who reject Jesus, those who reject the gospel, those who reject the message of the gospel, I would say are even, are even more in danger on judgment day than even the Pharisees were of that day because they had not yet seen the resurrection. The word tells us that the resurrection has happened. And so we are, we are as first-hand experiencers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of what the word says. And if we reject what this word says, we are, we are, we are in the same spot as Jesus as these Pharisees are on judgment day because the word of God is sufficient. The scriptures are sufficient for us to know who Christ is, what Christ has done. And if we reject this, we reject Christ. And so be comforted today by the grace of the sufficiency of God's word. You didn't think this was gonna turn into a sermon on the sufficiency of God's word, did you? That seems to be what, where it leads us. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that what we couldn't do, uh, that what Jonah couldn't do, that what Moses couldn't do, that what David couldn't do, that, that, that Christ did. That though, that though Jonah couldn't, couldn't die and atone for our sins, Jesus has died and has atoned for our sins. That, that even though Jonah wouldn't really give his life in the belly of the fish, you, Christ, would give your life in the belly of the earth not for your own sins, but for the sins of ours. And so, Lord, we praise you for that gospel reality, that gospel truth, and we pray this morning that we would be greatly strengthened by it. We pray that we would live confidently today uh, because of not our, not our own good works, not our own good deeds, not, not how, how much we're how consistent we are in, in any particular discipline, but because of what you have done for us. And that in response to that, uh, we would live a life that would be pleasing to you, that we would live a life of, of obedience that results from, from faith in you, and that we would honor you with our lives because of the grace that you've given to us. And so, Father, we thank you again now for what you have done for us through your son Jesus and his death and resurrection. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.